Welcome to the Hot Stove Society Radio Show on Cairo. This is Chef Tom Douglas. We're happy to be with you this week, uh, both our Facebook Live watchers and, of course, our terrestrial friends out there on Cairo Radio. Hopefully, you're, you're harvesting the last of your tomatoes. Maybe not the last, but soon to be the last. What are the last tomatoes to harvest? The last tomato to the harvest? green tomatoes. The green tomato, and then you simply <laughs> you simply put buttermilk, slice them, put buttermilk on them, dredge them in a little uh, combination of cornstarch, cornmeal, and masa harina, and pan fry those suckers. And while they're still crisp in the middle, you don't want to make them all sogged out. But when the pan fry them golden brown, but crisp in the middle, and what a delicious treat! And I'm Thierry Rotturo, the chef in a hat. Or you could take your tomato plant out of the ground, turn them upside down, hang them in your basement, and by Thanksgiving, you'll have ripe tomato. And you'll be infested with tomato hornworms. Yeah, which, who doesn't want that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I am chef owner of a couple of joints around town, including the Ballard Warehouse, the Serious Takeout Opportunity, Serious Pie Ballard, I guess we'll, we're going to start calling it, Serious Pie Ballard. Oh, I like that. And uh, uh, the brand new uh, reopened Carlisle Room, which I worked at last night, was was invigorating, I'll say. Well, the Paramount is really I rocking it. Had a sold-out show last night, and we got crushed, which is nice. I also want to shout out to my dentist, huh. Dr. Amato, and his team came in. We did a pizza party for them at the Serious Pie. The old Serious Pie is now a venue. You can sure. rent it out for a small, small party. Can't so wait to do it. Yeah. Just call HotStoveSociety.com. That's who controls it. And uh, what else do I've got going on? You know, my theater team did fabulous last night doing the concessions at the Paramount and the Moore. And we're just Isn't busy. Isn't it nice we're to be all, busy again? Yeah, sort of. Yes, yeah, sort of. <laughs> be careful what you wish for. <laughs> and I'm Terry Rotiro, Chef on the Go. Oh, that's a magnificent. I just made go. that up. No. <laughs> I just made that you up. Chef on the go. Cards. Here remember we go. When Amy, remember when Amy Pennington was our producer and yeah, she was she Katie was on the go. Garden. No. Uh, go Amy. go Green Garden. Go go Green Garden. Yeah, that was the name of her company oh, yeah, that's at true. the time. We've got two hours for you today, where we try to stay out of the COVID business and stay into food and beverage and wine and beer and deliciousness for two straight hours, hopefully inspiring you to get into the kitchen and make yourself a little dinner or inspiring you to come to one of my restaurants. Why, why not? <laughs> Which I think would be a better idea right now. We just came up with our Seattle Restaurant Week menu uh, for Seatown. Yeah. This week, so I'm excited about that. We're going to have a crab feed. For the Seattle Restaurant Week. That's awesome. Crab feed. Crab's so expensive. I know, but I, I, I bought in uh, 700 pounds, and uh, it's uh, snow crab, and it's a, it's a beautiful... Product because it's the the largest leg of the snow crab, which isn't very large. I'll, I just want to know who's going to clean that you crab. Exactly. <laughs> you do. I'm, it's only fifty dollars a pound. Oh yeah. To you, right? Yeah. So that's with tater tots and slaw. You kidding me? No, that's a great idea. Yeah, yeah. Be, be super fun. Why would you say that? You hate picking crab. Um, I I can't wait to get at it. <laughs> oh, no. She's totally lying. Uh, by the way, uh, I think we need to regale our friend again. Yes. Joyeux anniversaire, joyeux anniversaire, joyeux anniversaire, joyeux anniversaire. There we go, live birthday on the show for Miss Pam. Uh, we're going to talk peak of the season, old ladies. No, no, we're not. <laughs> peak of the season. Pamela, she's, she's, she's a year I'm older. I'm in my peak, right? 
Okay. That's right. Absolutely. Green beans. Peak of the season, season green beans. Uh, Lindsey Carlisle and Ryan Scott are here to talk to us and update us on what's going down at Food Lifeline and their Dress Down Hunger event this weekend. Uh, savory souffles. Why not? There's a savory, there's sweet souffles, but I love making a savory souffle, yeah. a little salad or something. Um, Pamela, uh, you, <laughs> almost called you E.T., my partner. Pamela, Thierry, and I are going to come up with our favorite cocktails and how to make them. Uh, Stacy Fortner, pastry chef of the Dahlia Workshop, is going to be here to talk about her favorite desserts. And lastly, we're going to finish the day with the Rub with Love Food for Thought Tasty Trivia Challenge, of which... I just feel like I'm tired of getting crushed, and I, I'm starting to take it personally that Pamela is saving the it's hardest. It's easy today. I'm the feeling hardest, benevolent. The hardest questions. Super easy. For me, and I'm not whining. That She's calling much. it super easy. We'll see how that comes out. Taste <laughs> <laughs> um, of the week. Taste of the week, Chef. Uh, what, what do you have in your mind? I went to a friend of mine uh, who invited us for dinner, Kathy and I, and um, he made, to date, probably... One of the best pork chops I've ever had in my life. Really? And it was... That's something good. You make a pretty mean pork chop, I yes, will tell you. I make a good mean pork chop, but he made a pork chop that was so simple. And the only reason it was delicious is because it was the best. It was kurubato pork. Mm-hmm. So it's good and pork. It, and it was a pork chop with the cap on it, not mm-hmm. just the loin. You know, not, not. I know. We go to Beast and Cleaver, and their, their pork chops have about an inch of fat around them. Oh, that's, that's what this one so did. So much cap. But the secret is... He buys his pork shop at, um, I'm sorry, what's the place in, in uh, Pioneer Square? Uh, meat. Um, Shadows. Thank you. Rain yeah. Shadow. Rain Shadow. Yeah. And he have them aged for two weeks. Oh. And he just, all he did was salt on the pork shop, put it on the, on the egg, and grill that pork shop. It was the most beautiful, tender, moist, delicious, tasty. Yeah. Pork shop. Good. See, sometimes the best thing you can do to make yourself a better cook is buy better food. Right. Yeah. And I made him use his meat thermometer, <laughs> by the way, because <laughs> we were there. He's like, I'm just going to, I'm like, what the heck? You don't yeah. know nothing about don't touching you, a piece of meat and knowing if it's, yeah, I don't, don't even you know. Don't ever listen to our show? I don't even know. I'm like, I'm like, do you know how many times Tom and I are so screaming at people for, just use the meat thermometer. You don't need to guess. It's a macho thing. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And anyway, he used it and pulled at 130, and it was flawless. Okay. So there's a lot of people that want to know, when you buy a pork chop like that, do you eat all that fat? Absolutely. Uh, we, I do oh, not. We oh, ate the entire pork chop because the fat was so delicious. I know it's delicious, but geez, that's a lot of fat. Well, I don't do this every day, first of all. Mm-hmm. I actually haven't done this in... Eons. I can't remember the last time I had the cap of a pork shop on a pork shop with the fat and eat that. I don't mm. remember that. So okay. it's not like I do this all the time. And, you know, I'm not exactly skinny. I need to feed the beast. All right. All right. <laughs> uh, my taste of the week is a, a really nice trip to Staple and Fancy out in Ballard on Ballard Avenue. Uh-huh. I had a really fun time. I like what they're doing there. Um, they're doing that $60 um, it's only three courses, but right. your first course is six different tastes of things, which oh, I thought nice. was charming. And everyone, it's, there's only a choice of steak or salmon. Right. Uh, but it was really nice aged steak. It was really delicious king salmon. Uh, and the, the five little or five or six little openers, I thought, was a very fun idea. And it makes it easy on the kitchen because they can just keep producing all night sure, long. Sure, sure, sure. But it's only 60 bucks. Yeah, which is a, a good, good, good a price, a good yeah. price, yes. I spent three times as much on wine as I did on dinner. <laughs> next, time, next time I'll tell you about my trip to uh, 
How to cook a wolf in Madison Park, I'll tell you. All right, all right. Up next, crunchy green beans. Do you like them that way? Yes. I'm not so much. You like them crunchy? I'm not so much. (laughs) On Cairo, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. We're back in the Hot Stove Kitchen here at the Hot Stove Society, Hotel Andra, downtown Seattle. Uh, this the hotel is uh, under remodel, right? I think at new front door. I know it's looking better. Every I grabbed day. the handle today. I was like, "Wait, what's going on here? Isn't it pretty?" <laughs> it was locked for so long. <laughs> uh, and so we're starting to buff out uh, Lola so that we can get open by the end of October. Also, uh, super fun. Happy Halloween! Happy Halloween! That's yeah. right. Maybe we'll have a. You have to come looking like a Greek. <laughs> Zorba the Greek. <laughs> that shouldn't be hard. <laughs> I can do that. You could do that. I couldn't. Um, green beans. Uh, Pamela, you put this on our list because you are a fan of green beans. How, what's your favorite way to have them? I know you don't like this technique, but I like doing the quick blanch and then the ice water yeah. Uh, refresh. Yeah, that's not Because for me. I love the bright green color and then keeping the snap, but... So what you so, don't well, what you I mean, don't counter I, I, with a better idea, Tom? What is it you don't like about that? Or I know you probably prefer a different way, but what is it you don't like about that? Well, to me, there's two things. You're washing the beans twice mm-hmm. uh, of their natural flavor, right? And from what I know of Pamela, she's an organic veggie nut. She just loves them. Why would you want to wipe out the vitamins and the flavor? By, number one, blanching them in hot water. So look at the color of the water when you get done, right? Sure. It's green. Sure. It's green. There's lots of stuff you're taking right out of those green beans. Correct. And then you dump them into another bath of cold water, right. which does improve the color a bit. But, again, you're washing away uh, flavor. And I don't, m- many green beans don't have much flavor in my mind anyway. So my preference would be to put them in a saute pan with a lid and a tablespoon of water or mm-hmm. a tablespoon of wine and put them on low and just give them a quick so you're not you're not which you're trapping the flavor you're, you're trapping it the in the pan yeah. they do turn a, a touch grayish yes yeah. uh but Fine, fine. Uh, I, I respect the bean, and I don't just... You respect the bean. I don't need bean. to give it two baths. That's going to be your next T-shirt. I, think, oh, I respect the bean. So I think that... I, I think, don't, that, don't need to give it I two think that there is a room for blanching, and there is a room for non-blanching. Depends on the outcome of what you're doing in terms of a dish. I, I believe in both. I think that both of them are useful. And again, I will agree with you that 99% of the time, when I buy beans, green beans, haricot vert, in a store, they are... Mostly tasteless, and when we grow green beans, which we do in our garden, um, they are so delicious. It's Even such blanched. a difference. It's when a they difference have of a day. You know what? The, the sweetness is there, so it's the flavor of the bean, which you don't find that in the store. And I think it's because they pick them younger, and they also travel and stay in a bag, in a plastic bag for like weeks. You know that can be good for anybody. If I was in a plastic bag for weeks, I certainly <laughs> wouldn't look as good. <laughs> <laughs> you would not look as good, sir. You are. I cannot argue that point. So my point. <laughs> the question so, really is: If I put olive oil on you, would would you refresh? <laughs> yes, I probably would, especially if you add a little spice to it. Okay, let's make a green bean salad then. So I would blanch Italian my green bean style. Italian style. Italian style. Why Italian style? Uh. What's wrong with the French? She's taking you out of your box. Okay. Okay. All right. Oh man, I don't even know if I can. All right. You want me to take over just, here? No, no, just. <laughs> Start with I, would, I would still blanch my green beans, and I would cool them off, 
and I would make a cold salad. I would do tomato. Right now, the tomatoes, mm. as we know, are beautiful in season. I would even to put a little a bit of avocado, which is not mm. necessarily Italian, but I would put a little bit of avocado. And I would, of course, use some nice mozzarella and some beautiful green beans. And then you have a wonderful little salad. Now, you could add tuna, which would make it tonato, you know, mm. kind, of, kind of thing. It would be delicious as well. But you don't need to add... I mean, you get plenty going on when you start with tomato, haricot vert, avocado, and mozzarella. You don't need any more than that, except fresh herb, of course, basil, which is, you know, I'm grabbing the basil by handful now in my garden, so I don't waste it, and so I make sure I use it. Um, but that would, be, that would be my big take. And good olive oil and finishing salt. Done. Mm-hmm. And by the way... I'd eat that. By the way, when you do your tomato, cube your tomato or quarter your tomato, whatever you do, Put them in a bowl with some olive oil, a little pepper, a little salt, and let them sit for maybe 10 minutes. Just that will help the tomato render, and it will make the whole thing having a nice little juice on the bottom that will help the whole salad. Mm -hmm. So you don't need an extra dressing. So I'm going to give you one little quick recipe that is totally opposite of that, which is (laughs) Grandma Dot's favorite green bean recipe. Now, the only difference is I would use fresh green beans. <laughs> As opposed to canned. She took canned green beans and stewed them for four hours <laughs> in, in tomatoes and bacon. Uh, and bacon. so you have very, very, maybe even very cooked they green beans. They didn't say beans. on the can, it's already dead, don't cook it again. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but Dot, was, she just loved that. And I came around to it in a funny way. I was like mortified when I first had that dish. And it's like, I kind of came around to the idea of a braised green bean Mm -hmm. Uh, what i do with them now is you know when we are picking green beans during your season the first ones are always the best the first flush is awesome tender but as they go along in the season as the sun heats up and uh, you can go down your row and next thing you know what was fabulous yesterday is now over mature correct a little bit chalky and heavier and and harder harder so they need to be braised I don't throw them away. Right. The, to me, that is my braised green bean. Take those same fresh tomatoes, chop them up, and just braise them slowly sure, in the tomatoes. Sure. And I just think it's a very delicious dish. And uh, last week we learned that uh, from uh, Food and Wine magazine that you have to have the Lipton green or Lipton onion mix in your no, pantry. No, you didn't say you do have <laughs> yes, to. Yes, we did. actually <laughs> said you don't have to. I, I know we said that, but they said you had to. That would be a perfect thing. Good time to use it. To put on top of your green bean casserole. Oh, you could just caramelize some onion and throw that on top and grill some eggplant and make a nice little... You're so negative. I'm not negative. I'm adding kind of like a little Depth. more fresher flavor. Do you guys remember how fancy the diagonal cut green bean was? French style green bean? Oh yeah, is, is that around anymore? When you mean uh, where they sh- you string the you cut them? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that preparation still. Mm-hmm. But, but it's I, nice I don't when, see when you, it anymore. It's nice when you do that. You don't have to blanch them or cook them because they are definitely you know much more easier to eat in terms of tenderness and everything. And you can throw them on a dish at the end of a dish. But no, nobody does that. <laughs> I never ever ever understood that why no. that was ever a thing. No, it's a lot of work. Yeah, because I've done that. Not me, but I've done it for other people. That was a lot of work to cut those beans. No, no understanding yeah, no. either. I'd rather cut them in bias. And, you know, I mean, green beans, toasted almond, and, that, a, little, and a little spice, olive oil, mm-hmm. you're done. I mean, to me, classic. that's a beautiful pan of sauteed green beans in a pan. Everything sauteed. 
And then you have that on the side of a nice dish, and it's it's enough. I want to go back to your first dish because you said something about tonato. So you uh, we're talking about adding tuna, and right. of course, a very famous Italian dish is veal tonato. Yeah, but the green beans would be nice. But I don't think Americans do this process ever, which is you take a good lemony mustardy mayonnaise. And you put it in your food processor, right. and you put your tuna in with it, and oh, yeah. you make a tuna mayo. Right. And you, just, you never see that on um, no, any sort of American menu that I've come across. Right. You it's common it? in France. I mean, even in, in Italy. I mean, even in Italy, France. you don't see it as much, maybe in certain regions. It's home style. Yeah. It's kind of like your casserole, gin, gin bean casserole. It's the same concept of you don't really see that in restaurants, but you see that in homes. Mm-hmm. And it's the same idea that, that that when I was a kid, tuna and mayo was you know homemade mayo and well, we tuna. had tuna and mayo all the time, but we never pureed the two together. Oh yeah, you know we did. I mean, literally make a sauce out yeah. of it. Yeah. yeah. So I think think it's something to try if you've never tried it. It's great on sliced tomatoes. It's great right. on green beans. It's right. great on uh, veal. It's yeah. great on a lot of things. And it's right? very inexpensive to make. I mean, it's yeah. like yeah, it's, it's fun. Just don't forget to use some of my shallot mustard in it because it's a nice combination. Or <laughs> well, some of my shallots and my mustard. <laughs> All right. It's time for Ryan Scott, the Chief Development Officer of Food Lifeline, to give us an update on their services and the food inventory in Washington. I know that they're having a big event this weekend. If you want to buy a last-minute ticket, get out there and do it. Just go to the Food Lifeline website. Uh, but we'll be right back with that on Cairo. It's the Hot Stove Society Show 97.3 FM. It's the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo. My name is Tom Douglas. And mine is Terry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. You know, this might be our 20th anniversary season. Because uh, I want to say I started uh, when Dave Ross was taking a vacation one year. And I think it was in an October time frame. Yeah, but it might be be 21 or 22. I think we've already passed 20, Tom. Let's talk about Food Lifeline. You and I had an opportunity to go down to Food Lifeline this last week and do a promotion for their Dress Down Hunger event. I said this weekend, but I really meant a week from this weekend, right? Correct. Because that's when our show plays. It's this coming weekend. Right. Okay. Uh, so we got, had an opportunity. You did a promo. You nailed it. It was like uh, drop the mic time. You did it so well. Oh! Uh, he did. He just killed it. And then, um, But you and I have a long history with Food Lifeline yeah, because uh, I think it's most important to us that our job is to feed people that walk through our front door, but it's not letting us off the hook when they can't afford to walk through our front door, Correct. right? And so uh, our second job is to feed the people that can't afford to walk through our front door. Right. And we've done that for a very long time and felt it was our mission. Uh, and uh, I'm proud to have uh, the group here right now. Chief Development Officer Ryan Scott is here from Food Lifeline to kind of give us an update. You know, Ryan, it wasn't that long ago when I was mired in a five-year battle to raise money capital campaign money for the, the warehouse. new warehouse, which was a 25-year solution right. for Food Lifeline, uh, not only in size, but in finances, you know, to own our own space and, and all that sort of thing. And I was so proud the other day. I don't get down there as much as I used to, but just walking through that place, we did good. You did great. Yeah, and da- no and double the size of the freezer. That was impressive. Yeah, did you see uh, we're doing a wow. huge, huge freezer cooler yeah. expansion? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. you know, I think that the really odd thing about this is it was a 25-year solution that we've outgrown immediately uh, now, simply come because on. of the need. You have, have 80,000 square feet across the parking lot from you that hasn't Well, been. that's true. That's, yeah. that's the next step for yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Don't so. make me sad. I, I was yeah. celebrating. <laughs> I can't do this again for a while. And I, I, I will say something. Uh, I didn't do this in a vacuum. We didn't do this in a vacuum. Our right. community supported our Correct. efforts. 
uh, including our customers. We had a big million-dollar challenge match and uh, all sorts of things. Customers, so, vendors, yeah, businesses, so local businesses. Yeah, no, no absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and, that's, was, and that's what it takes, by the way, because the issue is in our community. Right. It takes a community to wake up and realize that and go, okay, we need to do something. We can't wait for city council, state council, whatever. We can't wait for any of that. We have to be proactive in terms of our community as people. You know, and, and if you care about your community, you stand up and you do something. And doing something is not a lot. You don't no, have it's to not do that hard. Yeah, and, and you're right. I mean, being proactive is really the thing. I think, you know, one of the things that we've really found is, uh, particularly right now, with uh, just, you know, record levels of food insecurity, now is the, if there's ever a time to lean into feed bank, food banking, now is the time to do it. And you know, So quick, sorry, I don't mean to stop you. Just give two or three different reasons or two different ways than someone who has no idea, who has good revenue, to, to, to use and also lots of time, what can they do if they, if they always go, what can I do? Sure. What can they do? Yeah, some really easy ways to get involved. Um, first, I would say go to our website, foodlifeline.org. Lots of great information and ways to connect. Uh, you know, certainly dollars are important, and we will always uh, look to leverage those in the best way we can. Um, but just as important, come down and volunteer. I mean, as you said, you were in the warehouse. You saw uh, it takes a lot of hands and a lot of volunteers to repack food and move it out to our partner agencies. Uh, the other thing I, I would say is if you hear something that, you know, today or in conversation, Share it with someone else. Help elevate the story. Uh, there really is just a need for us to shine a really bright light on it right now. Right. Uh, I don't think people quite understand Food Lifeline because we all have this image of people kind of lined up with grocery bags uh, outside of the door. And Food Lifeline is much different than that. Yeah. Can you tell us your core mission? Sure. Yeah, I mean, our mission is, is kind of twofold. One is to really feed people today, and the second is to advocate and find ways to to uh, really, you know, solve the root causes of hunger. But uh, what we are is, you know, in essence, a food bank to food banks. Right. So we'll distribute out to about 350 partner agencies, whether those be food pantries, meal programs, shelters. Uh, and then, you know, through, a, a, you know, through that network, uh, move food out into communities to people and families and kids and seniors so that we're not having people make choices between uh, food and rent or food and school, uh, finding ways for them to have nutritious, culturally appropriate food. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so cool because when I was first on this uh, Food Lifeline board some almost 40 years ago now, uh, we were watching food banks go take their precious few dollars they had and literally go to the Safeway to buy proteins mm-hmm. right. for their bags. And Food Lifeline is such an important cog in the wheel as far as uh, spoke, I guess, support in the in turning a dollar into 16 pounds of food, whereas a food bank on their own could probably only turn that dollar into maybe five pounds of food. Right. right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we, unfortunately, we have some great relationships and some great partners that help us really leverage that and stretch that as far as we possibly can, right, so yeah. that, we can, that we can do exactly that, really leverage it and turn it into a lot of really great meals. Yeah. Yeah, and every dollar you donate to Food Lifeline, is it still 91, 92 cents to the dollar? Uh, 96 right now. 96? Yeah. Oh, my God. You yeah. guys are such high performer. Yeah, 96 goes to feeding hungry people. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Directly to the cause, yeah. which is remarkable because that's not a common thing in most agencies. That is definitely not the case. So it's very impressive. Thanks. So yeah. 
It's always been worth giving a dollar, and a dollar gives five meals, four Yeah, meals? we can take a dollar and put it into our system and, and really turn it into five meals because yeah. of the great partnerships that we have. So Which is impressive. Uh, I mean, a thousand bucks gives 5,000 meals. How great is that? It's your birthday. You awesome. want to give a present to somebody, raise a thousand bucks, give it to Food Lifeline. You've, fi- you've got 5,000 meals raised. How I'm, uh, I'm going to do that today in honor of Pamela's birthday. Oh, oh. look at you, Tom. Thank in you. In honor of Pamela's birthday, we're going to give from our radio <laughs> show $1,000 or 5,000 meals to Food Lifeline. Look at you, Tom Douglas. Oh, it's from us, dude. Okay. You're just happening to be un- unemployed right now. <laughs> well, I'm appreciative because I'm on the board of the Pike Market Food Bank, and we... Uh, so depend on Food Lifeline. So you made my day in multiple ways. Multiple ways. <laughs> it's it's a happy great birthday, young lady. <laughs> I always try to buy her something. She doesn't need anything. She's no. self-sufficient. This, is, this uh, is what the case of most people are. They don't need more junk. They don't need more things. But it feels really good to get... I mean, look, raising 5,000 mil for people who actually need it, how cool of a day is that? I think it's super cool that where people can volunteer again. You know, there was a moment yeah, uh, a year or so that ago that uh, the National Guard was down there trying sure, to help yeah. uh, get the food out because you couldn't have volunteers. And in a, in a system like Food Lifeline that relies on between ten and, th- and 20,000 volunteers a year, uh, to all of a sudden get cut off from that was devastating. Oh, it was terrible. I mean, the Washington National Guard was amazing. And, mm-hmm. I mean, the efficiency that they had was incredible. But, yeah, we miss our volunteers. And, you know, and to your point, it, I mean, it is a direct uh, piece of how much food we can actually move because we need those volunteers to come in and help us pack and prepare and move food out to agencies. And so uh, when people feel ready and are comfortable, we hope that we'll come in because we're doing everything we can to keep people safe and, and we need those volunteers. Mm-hmm. Just build up a team of people you know who are vaccinated and then you feel comfortable with and go to Food Lifeline and do a nice little morning. Yeah, it's a really fun way to come in. It's a great way to bring a group of, uh, of friends in. We can do it safely and have a lot of fun at the same time and do yeah. some real good. And people don't realize, like, I don't think, how it works when you volunteer. But uh, having been a part of this for a long time, uh, when Food Lifeline gets literally a trailer load of onions, we'll say, right? right? they come in these 1,000-pound totes. Mm-hmm. They unload them. They go into, right into the refrigerator and get ready for the volunteer system. There's a whole repack area because uh, Ballard Food Bank, can't take a thousand pound tote of onions. Oh, oh, nobody can. No, Food Lifeline can. And, <laughs> yes, and, you know, but they they'll often get twenty at one time, right? right from right. A, from a cold house in uh, Eastern Washington or something. Right. So the volunteers take those one thousand pound totes and pack those into one or five pound bags right. that then can get distributed out to the three hundred food bank and meal programs that need the onions. Correct. And so that's just what they do so well. And as a volunteer, that's kind of what you would do. Right. That's everything from frozen vegetables to pork butts to federal commodities like peanut butter and rice. And mm-hmm. well, there's just so many things that volunteers Bananas, can pineapples. <laughs> bananas. I always think bananas because those mountains of I, banana boxes I that know. they use for repacking down there. Is that, uh, isn't that uh, cool the way that works? Oh, it's so great. Yeah, and that's exactly right. I mean, I think, you know, being able to take the really big kind of quantities and turn them into, you know, no pun intended, but bite-sized quantities that we can then go out and go out to agencies and, you know, go directly into families' homes in a way that they can use is critical. And yeah, and so, there is no waste, which no. is why you need to repack in the right size. So. That's right. And uh, one more thing before, we're going to spend the next segment talking about Dress Down Hunger, which is a way you can support the uh, Food Lifeline. 
I don't think people also know that Food Lifeline is a first responder. If we have a huge earthquake here in Seattle and, and our, our systems are awry, Food Lifeline is, has the capability and is charged with making sure we get water out there and basic needs and That's federal right. commodities. and Yeah, and there's no question. I mean, when the pandemic hit, uh, everybody kind of looked to us first, as mm-hmm. they should. And, mm-hmm. you know, and hopefully in, in no other circumstance will that happen. But if it does, we'll be there and we'll be ready. All right. Thank you, Ryan Scott, Chief Development Officer of Food Lifeline. Up next, we're going to talk about Dress Down Hunger and a way that you can help Food Lifeline, support Food Lifeline uh, in the coming week. On Cairo, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. All right, we're back in the kitchen here at the Hot Stove Society, downtown Seattle, 4th and Virginia, right in the beautiful new home of the Hotel Andra. At the world headquarter of the Hot Stove Society Radio. That's right. How did you know? <laughs> We're just surrounded by hot stove signs here. Uh, Pamela, we have Lindsay Clark here. and she, Thank goodness. She is going to tell us. She's with Food Lifeline also. She's the event manager. Uh, and uh, Lindsay, tell us about Dress Down Hunger and how people can buy a ticket, come support, and whether they come or not. You know, to me, the important thing is buying the ticket. There are so many kids out there in culinary school. There are so many neighbors that maybe can't afford to come. Buy a ticket for somebody else if you don't want to go. Uh, I think it would be a great way to kind of share the wealth. Yeah, Dress Down Hunger is one of Food Lifeline's signature events Mm -hmm. where we gather together in the warehouse. This year we will be virtually gathering together, but we come together with community members, donors, volunteers, awardees, all of our partners, and raise much-needed funds to propel our mission forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, this year, we are virtual, so you can watch from home. We'll be everyone can live. come. Yes, everyone can come. Uh, you can find out more at foodlifeline.org slash dressdownhunger2021. It is free to attend, but we are going to be asking everyone to join us in raising funds. We do have a very generous match. Um, so up to, I think, $100,000 will be matched for the people who give during the event. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, on, if you go to that, uh, dress down, or foodlifeline.org slash dressdownhunger2021, there is a link to donate. If you can't join us, you can still help out and uh yeah, so spend some time with us. A hundred thousand. So you have a hundred thousand dollars to raise, or to to, to raise match. to match. Yeah. Correct. So that would be two hundred thousand, which times five is one million mil. Correct. Yep. Let's make sure these words go out so people understand the size of the needs out there, because this is, by the way, a million mil. It's a huge amount of meals, but it's not the end of the problem. Correct. And it's a really fun event. It's going to be about an hour of your time, so it's not a huge commitment uh, time-wise, but you can stream from home. Um, Make yourself a cocktail. Yeah. What's the program? What comprises the event? So we are giving out our Ending Hunger Awards, which we do every year at uh, this event. And so we're awarding three people, three great uh, organizations and people, the awards this year. We also have a, a video that we share to talk about the work that we're doing. Our CEO and President Linda will address the audience and kind of give a state of the org and update everyone on the important work that we're doing. There's also some live music. Uh, we have an online auction. All oh, this, can all you this spill the beans and tell us who who is getting the awards, or is it I top know, secret? The day of the event. No, you gotta be at the event, Pam. Come on. I can give you a little sneak peek, and then you have to tune in to watch and oh, yeah, find okay. out more. Um, our inspiration award is going to U.S. Bank. Mm-hmm. 
Oh. Our Equity Champion Award is going to Mutual Aid Solidarity of Skagit. And our Tom Haley Memorial Award is going to Raj and Anna Asava. Nice. So Tom Haley was in. the president when I was there. Yeah. Tom Haley and I helped hire Linda. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yep. yeah. What's that organization in Skagit all about? They are helping to lower barriers for migrant communities up there and awesome. planting culturally appropriate food and community gardens, doing a lot of great work. Awesome. The, uh, you know what I hope you really do is take a camera or your iPad or whatever it is around that warehouse. It is knee-buckling mm-hmm. how big and full and efficient and how, uh, you know, Fork trucks and hand trucks running all over the place, and the new freezers, massive. And, uh, you know, it's just, I don't know that people understand the scale of what you guys accomplish every year. Yeah, we will have our event is streaming live from inside the warehouse, so you will be able to see parts of it. And we do have a little camera up high, so you'll be able to see out into the whole thing, and uh, you'll get to learn a lot more about what we do. And uh, so, how much more? need is up here is needed now in compared to two years ago or a year and a half ago before covid um we know right now about one in five of our neighbors are food insecure so it has increased quite a bit because of the pandemic uh we haven't seen the need drop off yet right. uh, i think we are slowly starting to recover but there's still a huge great need out there right and you know uh what f- Food Lifeline does by giving or getting food to meal programs is that, you know, some of these needs just never go away, right? Correct. They, they're just continuous. And people think, well, I gave this time and I don't have to give again. Right. There's a maintenance involved, not only in running the organization, but, you know, a senior center that helps indigent senior senior folks. Right. It's, it's full all the time. It's full <laughs> in January, just like it's full in, in December like when you're more apt to give at Christmas time. Right. But it's still full in February and March, yeah. too. And they need the food, and we need to support them yeah. on an annual basis. Yeah, it's nice to make your donation in pieces so you can feed during the whole year, literally mm-hmm. feed the bank the whole year so people can get, get their funds. And, you know, and they also have match and, you know, match grant matches and so on and so forth so they can... So just keep donating. It's not that. Just put a piece of your of your treasure into bucks a month. into food life. Yeah. yeah, exactly. If we all did twenty bucks a month, there would be no issues. Oh, absolutely. Having funds for that's a uh, hundred mil right there. Yeah. Boom. So you know what I liked about this event was so many of these charitable galas are literally galas, and people spend a lot of money on hotel conf- or hotel uh, ballroom decoration, bands and decoration, and all money that. People gave to feed hungry people. What's great about Dress Down Hunger is it's in our building, right? Mm-hmm. And in the is, warehouse. <laughs> we do it as efficiently as possible. We get chefs to come, or who used to before, before COVID. Chefs would come and cook, and mm-hmm. uh, lots of the food was donated. And it's just a very appropriate fundraiser, I think, for the food bank system, where it's not over-the-top, in-your-face, rich, rich, rich. Yeah, it's in the warehouse. You can see our freezer cooler, the racking full of food and products. It's a uh, more casual event. You can wear your jeans. Um, it's a great, great fun event. We can't wait to yeah. be back in person, hopefully okay, soon. T- tell everyone again how to sign up and get a live feed from you. Foodlifeline.org slash Dress Down Hunger 2021. Mm-hmm. 
October 2nd. Uh, pre-show starts about 6.30, live show at 7 p.m. All right, so we've already, can this can my donation for Pamela's birthday go? Absolutely. Or, or the show's donation? Yep. So we've already started with $1,000. Well, 99 uh, to go. When that was matched by part of your 100000 So uh, that's $2,000. Yep. Or how many meals, Terry? Uh, well, two times five. It's always just multiply by five. It's that's 10. why I asked you, sir. One. That's ten thousand meal we there just gave go. away. There yeah. you go. Ten I mean, thousand meals at uh, ten thousand meal. Uh, you by listening to us and uh, hopefully by joining in with us, I've already raised and and uh, for our hungry neighbors around the northwest. Yep. Wow. It feels it's good. Mouthful. That feels yeah. good. Yeah, I got yeah. chills right now. It feels so good. <laughs> it's either that or it's cold. Um, <laughs> Lindsay Clark, thank you so much. She's the event manager of Food Lifeline. And uh, get online. And like I said, uh, if you can't feel good about donating for you, donate for somebody else. My mother never sends me a birthday present anymore. She sends me a gift card that she sent the money directly to Food Lifeline. That's Aww. awesome. So Your mom's I'm, I'm just doing what my mom does for me. I just did for Pamela. <laughs> I remind him of his mom. <laughs> Up next, we're going to celebrate Dress Down Hunger with our favorite cocktails. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. It's the Hot Stove Society Kitchen. You've landed in it. We appreciate that. We're on for another whole hour here today. You don't catch us live. You can always get our podcast. Uh, my name is Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry Rocherol, the chef in the hat. The chef in the chapeau. Uh, Terry, uh, we've got another full hour. We've got a um, cocktail segment, which we're going to jump into now. We're going to make some savory souffles, you and I. Okay. Uh, chef, uh, pastry chef Stacy Fortner is going to be here. She did a class here at the Hot Stove last night making mochi donuts. And she when made I came in mochi this morning, donuts. Pam, our producer, is also the executive director here. She was on her hands and knees scraping up icing from all the donuts. It got messy. All the donuts being made last night. It was quite the interesting so, scene. So one thing to remember when you do donuts at home, just put a piece of plastic wrap on the floor. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, we're going to wrap up the show with our Food for Thought Tasty Trivia Challenge. Right now, I've been hanging out at the Carlisle Room a lot because we are you know, brand new there and everyone's you know, learning their jobs and stuff, but... It is a cocktail bar. I mean, we have great well, food. you have a great bar. Great it's food service there, but it is really booming for cocktails because people want a quick you know, cocktail and a little bite before they head over to the theater. Uh, maybe two cocktails maybe before two they get cocktails. to the show. Yeah. Last night, these ladies had two cocktails, and then just like they, and they're, they weren't as old as me, but they're like, you know, 45 or so. They looked like maybe a couple of moms. I don't, I'm not trying to be, it's not judgy or anything. Yeah, yeah. They're going to the show across the street, so they had their two glasses of wine. They had nice food. They were really sweet at the bar, blah, blah, blah. And then it's, it's getting up to go, they said, okay, we'll take two shots of tequila. <laughs> what? <laughs> so they each, before, as a little toast, before they went to the show, they each had a shot of tequila. <laughs> That's awesome. It's so funny. People have these little routines that yeah, they yeah, do yeah, before yeah. they do a party or an event. Well, I mean, instead of standing in line at the, at the Paramount, you know, you're having dinner, just... Drink your booze over here. and then I know. We always tell people, it's like, at intermission, you have your ticket stubbed. Exactly. You use the restroom without a line. Just walk back across yeah, the yeah, street. Yeah. We'll have your cocktail ready for you. <laughs> uh, okay. Favorite cocktails. Mine's easy. I'm just going to jump right in. Mine's super easy. I'm a martini dude. Okay. If, you know. I'm a martini dude, too. Generally, before I start a big dinner, if I'm out, I think it's a celebratory thing. A lot of people prefer champagne. I used to. Uh, my wife does. But for me... The martini is just like it gets me in the mood. And so I'm a rocks bucket 
because I have large hands, so I like to be, have a glass that fits my hand. Bucket, rocks, twist before I put my gin in mm-hmm. because I want to twist the oil around the outside rim. And then when I pour the gin in, I like to pour it over that lemon so that it soaks in. And then uh, maybe eighth of an ounce of uh, vermouth. Because okay. to me, it's not a martini if it doesn't have vermouth. Correct. All these people that wave the... the bottle over top and don't pour anything they're making gin on the rocks they're right. not making a martini. exactly i okay. agree with you 100 percent. the other thing i don't do is i don't put it into a shaker and stir it and then pour it over fresh ice i like my ice one time and i like it all that marinated ice that was sure. in the cocktail sure. i want that right half the gin's in there for I God's agree. Sake. I agree. okay pamela's going to jump in with hers i'm a manhattan girl mm-hmm. i love the warmth of beautiful bourbon uh, right. although i'm known to uh, alternate with rye. I'm still learning the distillers, though. I haven't gotten beyond, beyond the big names yet. Um, sweet vermouth. I probably make mine a little sweeter than most people. And, of course, the cherry is critical. Absolutely. If there's Absolutely no cherry, it's not it. <laughs> and um, very important to have a dash of bitters. And I love just gently stirred with a Big ass ice cube. Yeah, the big ice cube thing is a thing. It's not for me. I love it. Yeah. I love the way it melts and it doesn't make it cold enough for me. I know because I drink are... it so fast that I, you know, people say, "Well, the, the small ice cubes um, melt, water dilute. it down," but they I drink it so fast it. that it doesn't really. And uh, and and you know what? I personally, I like the idea of the watering down because I. I mean, so is that the end of your cocktail, Pam? I want, yes. to, I want to say one thing, though. I want to give out a brand name of cherries because it, it is an important. Yes. And you know the French ones. Uh, I think of Luxardo. No, no Luxardo is Luxardo what I use, too, one. in my okay, restaurant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So look the, for the brand L-U-X-A-R-D-O. And there's a beautiful, delicious, marinated. And the jar's beautiful. The jar's pretty, too. And the cherries are delicious. <laughs> They're just not. They're not like those those fake tinted red cherries. And if they get super old, like uh, they can in my house, they get crunchy. Well, that the sugar, good. the sugar, the sugar cures them. Yeah, the sugar yeah. crystallizes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, so wait, on the Bon Appetit website, they're recommending a cherry variety. I don't know if we have here. Um, Barker and Mills Bourbon Vanilla Cocktail Cherries. Sounds have you guys good. seen those? No, but I wouldn't put vanilla in my cocktail. Oh, good point. That would take it tilted well, in a different direction. Bourbon yeah. vanilla. They're playing off of the oak barrels that I understand. Almost all bourbons are aged in. Correct. So I don't know that it's a big stretch. Okay, I don't just, know how I'm much vanilla saying, they yeah, have, exactly. but I would. Yeah, I think we should go to Downtown Spirits after the show and see what the cherry selection <laughs> is like. <laughs> Do a cherry tasting. Because that's a good store for downtown Seattle. Yeah, that's true. Downtown. For me, I like uh, talking about ice melting and all that stuff in your cocktail. You know, there's purists, like you said, big, big, gla- big ice. So the ice melts, doesn't really melt. It just cools off your drink. That's one technique. For me, I'm all about the, the Lucatini, which is my, my original martini version was the Vesper, which is uh, two vodka, one gin, half a lillet. And so oh, two lillet. parts vodka. Yeah. One part gin, so yep. now you're into it. Three ounces of booze, correct, and a half a part of lilay, correct. Which is what? Lilay is an orange, uh, orange liquor. It's called a liquor, I believe. 
It's um, a liqueur. Of, yeah, but it's like a wine. It's, it's kind of like, like it's, it's like, like a spirit wine. I mean, a spirit wine kind yeah. of idea where it's like vermouth it's idea, like except proof, not bitter. Right? Or is it twenty no, proof? No, no, it's lower than that. Okay. It's almost like a wine, like like you like know an how aperitif. Yeah, like aperitif, and that's it's actually really good by itself. It's just a little bit too sweet for me to be drinking by itself, but. Put a drop of that into, um, I mean, a half a, of that into your cocktail. And then what I do is I put a drop of Saint-Germain just to round up and give a nice little aroma to my cocktail. That's an elderberry flower. Elderberry flower. Mm-hmm. And then put all this in a shaker and shake till your shaker is white. Mm-hmm. Like shake for the longest time you've ever shaken a drink. So, yes, I am about liquefying my alcohol a little bit with the water and the ice kind of idea. But what happens is when it's really, really well shaken and your ice, you know, when your shaker is white, when you pour that into your martini glass, you end up with this shield of ice shards mm-hmm. on top of your cocktail. And I love that because, to me, I think it's really cool because it, it kind of liqui- uh, liquefies a little bit of the alcohol because, remember, it's just vodka gin. Plus, it's, it's fun getting those little shards on your tongue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I, I just think it's a nice little... And, by the way, orange... A little orange rim. Um, oh, that would be a delicious. delightful accent. Yeah. So that's my cocktail. And but the secret of that cocktail, more than anything else, is I mean the Porsche. The, Don't the, have two. That's the secret, or else you're not going to walk out of there. Oh no, no. <laughs> two, you speak French. Three, you get the weather report. <laughs> we have a very you're face down in the curb. <laughs> a very cool cocktail class coming up at the end of October that Angela Buck Hatter is doing. She's doing colonial. Punches and it's Sleepy oh, Hollow uh, cocktails. Everyone's going to be in costume. We hope. Oh, very and, nice. Yeah, Colonial Punch. So when Who is knew? this? When is this? October thirtieth. Wow. All right, uh, we're going to jump to savory souffles when we come back. It's the Hot Stove Society show on Cairo Radio ninety-seven three FM. It's time for Savory Soufflés here in the Hot Stove Kitchen. We're in downtown Seattle right now, 4th and Virginia at the Hotel Andra, right above, if you've ever been to my restaurant, Lola, we're right on the second floor above Lola. At the world headquarters of the Hot Stove Society Radio. Indeed it is. Souffle? I'm hungry. Souffle? Yeah, souffles, people are so scared of souffles, but they're really scared of the dessert souffle, right? Because everyone's afraid that it's going to fall before it gets to the table. Right. Savory souffles are a little bit different Correct. in my mind. Correct. Matter of fact, I even sometimes say um, it's a fallen cheese souffle salad, right? Or I'll make a little goat cheese souffle, and it's not intended to be like this big puffy thing. It's just intended to be a light little disc of uh, beaten eggs with goat cheese and maybe a little Parmesan. Right. In some cases, but a, a true a true basic souffle is supposed to be still souffle, like souffle. Like rised, and that's the whole point. That's the whole point of the, the souffle. I'm just well. I, just, <laughs> I think just, you're making just, excuses. Just no, no, no. <laughs> I, I, I understand you disagree, especially if you don't do it. I get it. But the actual goal and the actual ultimate recipe of a souffle and definition is something that rises, and yeah. then you serve it. It does rise, and you serve it while it's rising. Oh, okay. You don't serve it when it's flat. Then I mean, I, then I call it the if, anti-souffle. I can guarantee you that the guy who invented the souffle, if he would have served the souffle flat, he would have killed himself in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Eric Carey, right? There. Exactly. If he was that volatile, I would have probably served it to him. <laughs> 
Uh, so tell us about a savory souffle that you like to make. So the yeah. base, in, in French cooking, the base of a, of a basic savory souffle is starts with bechamel. Mm-hmm. So the bechamel is the base, and then we... What is bechamel? Bechamel is milk, flour... I mean, I'm sorry, let me start from the beginning. It's butter, flour, made into a roux, and then milk added to it, and then cooked down to a thick... Um, sauce, basically. Yeah. It's one of the mother sauce of, right. of French And do cooking. you always put also, or nutmeg in it? Nutmeg, a little bit of grated nutmeg, salt and pepper. Mm-hmm. Do you, and ever, then, you ever uh, steep your cream with the onion and with the clove in it? No. Like a lot of old recipes have? Not that. Not that one. Okay. In that one, it's pretty basic. Okay. And then you can use that base sauce, that mother sauce, to do so many different things. Right. Like the first thing that comes to mind is Mornay, which is you had grated cheese and you have a Mornay sauce. Mm-hmm. So you take that as a base. The, the actual bechamel is the base. You whip some egg white with a little bit of salt, and then you mix the whole thing together, and now you have a souffle base. So base. before you do that, in your bechamel, so if you're doing a cheese souffle, which is one of the most common savory souffle used um, in France, a cheese souffle is common. So you take all your cheeses and you want to do it. You grate it, put it in your bechamel. Now you have a Mornay. You whip your egg white. And you mix the whole thing together. But and you, don't you have to let the Mornay cool first? Correct. You okay. can't. Sorry. Yes, I'm sorry. I, I've missed a step. Very important step. Because if you don't let your Mornay cool off, you're going to break your eggs that just, you're going to basically. Cook them. Cook them. Yeah. And then they're going to turn to water. So your beaten egg white mix into your room temp um, Mornay sauce. And then you put it into a souffle mold, which is buttered and flour. And then you put that in the oven. 350, 375, it cooks fairly fast, and it's going to bake, and it's going to rise. And when it rises, um, as soon as it's blown and rised uh, to its maximum height, you take it out, and then you serve it. And you can serve it with another extra cheese sauce. Let's say you're making, uh, like you were talking about goat cheese, you could do a goat cheese into your Mornay. You could do all kind of grated cheese. It's a great way to use all those pieces of cheese you have left in your cheese drawer. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody's got a bunch of pieces of cheese and you don't know what to do with. You take those and you put them in your food processor or you put your hand to work really hard and chop down those, those pieces and put that into your Mornay and into your bechamel and then make that into a souffle. So that's the first basis. Now, many items you can add to that souffle. I've done spinach. So you take chopped, s- cooked spinach. Chopped, cooked spinach. Drain them. So you, you want to make sure it's not full of water. So you drain them. And then you, put, you chop them really fine and you put them into your Mornay. And then you have cheese and, souffle, cheese and spinach souffle um, base. And then you add your egg white again. And then it com- the egg whites is basically what allows the whole thing to rise and just souffle. Mm-hmm. And then you could do mushroom. I love mushroom souffle. That's also a good one. Very intense. Again, you have to pre-cook them. So what you do is you do what's the basis of a duxel, which mm-hmm. is chopped mushroom, cooked down very slowly, seasoned. Um, salt, pepper, fresh herbs, you know, and then put that into your bechamel and then cheese and then serve it uh, with the egg white and then serve it as a souffle appetizer. What and percentage then, would you say that you're, you could get by? Like if you had a six-ounce souffle cup, you're going to fill it maybe at the four-ounce level. Correct. Not, uh, not more than that. What yeah. percentage of mushroom of that four ounces – can you go a full ounce of mushroom and three ounces? Will the souffle go, hold that much mushroom? Yes, I would go two ounces of mushroom. Two ounces? I would go one and a half ounce of bechamel, and I would go egg whites. I'm like, surprised at I that. I would go two egg whites. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it, depend, it depends on how well beaten your egg whites are, how folding. Your folding is very important so you don't break the, mm-hmm. 
the fluffiness of those egg whites. And then, you know, if you cook it gently, I mean, it's going to come out in your cup, not flat. You know, you're not trying to make it flat in your cup or clean or whatever. You're trying to pour it in your, in your cup with a big spoon. It will have a little bit of that. Um, a mounding. Mounding, yeah. And as soon as it starts baking, it's going to flatten up. And it's going to raise, rise after that. So, um, but yeah, I would go definitely two ounces versus one and a half ounces of bechamel because bechamel is. If you have a good bechamel, it's pretty intense and it's it's and sturdy. It's very sturdy and it's it's basically the the cement of the dish. You know, it's mm-hmm. what holds the dish together to not be runny. So, um, yeah, I, I think. Now, have ounces. you ever tried the most famous souffle in the grocery store? Is the Stouffer's frozen spinach souffle have you ever bought that i, didn't I know do, pamela's i don't that even know what that is many times um no what the, is it oh, wait you buy it in the store so is in it the already section is it already souffle and frozen yeah you just reheat it in the oven and it's puffed well it's not puffed the way you want it puffed but, <laughs> uh, it's called you've bought that many times that was a very <laughs> hip dish uh, I make my souffle. 30, 30 years ago. <laughs> I love when she goes, I make my souffle, okay? I don't buy it from yeah. Stouffer. No, no, I have not, Tom, to answer your question. I have not tried okay. that. Um, You're missing out. I, I, you know, I, I'm ashamed to say that. Why do we have Tom in this segment? He's not celebrating the souffle. <laughs> you, know, souffle. You, know what's, you know what's sad is I'm ashamed to say that I go to the grocery store. I never go to the frozen section. The only thing I look for on the bottom of the frozen section is for a duck or a rabbit, which 99% of the time they don't have. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I look in the store like Whole Foods and PCC and all that. I'm always looking for a duck, a whole duck or a whole mm-hmm. rabbit, and they usually don't have it. So You're but, shopping at the wrong grocery store because my stores all have it. No, of course. I know where to go to buy oh, one, okay. but I'm saying when I'm there, I always look because I'm, you know, it's always pork, you know, pork, chicken, and beef, right? So I'm like, well, what's the other meat? You know, where are the other, <laughs> where are the other animals? <laughs> and it, anyway, it's a, so as far as savory souffle is there concerned, any way to do a souffle, a savory souffle? We only have a minute uh, without using the flour. There's going to be a lot of people that um, are, you know, gluten intolerant. Is well, there, you could, what's you could, the other binder you could use rather than a roux-based bechamel? You don't have to use the flour if you do... Okay, so... The, we only have a minute. The rising is going to come from the egg white again. Mm-hmm. Make sure your egg whites are nice and stiff. I don't think you need to use the flour necessarily. It's going to be... Uh, it's not going to have the body. It's going to taste more like scrambled eggs. Correct. Yeah. It's not going to rise the same way. It's definitely not going to have the body because all the moisture is going to want to stay on the bottom. So the only thing that's going to rise is the egg white. So there's going to be a separation, which is the first thing that comes to mind. But you could use like tapioca. You could use you know things that are binding. Same idea. Or even... Um, if you were using agar agar in your mushroom, that would still give it some binding and some some holding. Okay, you know something like that. Stacy Fortner is going to join us. She is the head pastry chef for our company, and uh, or one of the head pastry chefs for our company, and uh, she's going to join us. And we're going to talk about um, all the sweet desserts that are going to be coming up here uh, as the fall season mm. has arrived. It's, it's fall. It is fall. Fall. Uh, That's next here on the Hot Stove Society Show, Cairo Radio, 97.3 FM. Welcome back to the Hot Stove Society, downtown Seattle. We're joined by Stacey Fortner, head pastry chef out at the Ballard Warehouse Kitchen of the TD Restaurant uh, Operations. And um, Stacey, you've been on this show before. Uh, Two things. 
uh, it's uh, f- turned fall on us. Um, sad to see summer go, but it's turned fall, so we're going to jump into uh, what kind of favorite desserts you have to welcome the new season. And also, uh, I just want you to get mentally prepared to be crushed like a grape <laughs> in eastern Washington uh, in the next segment when we take you on in Food for Thought Tasty Trivia. So I, I didn't want to just spring that on you, just like beat you like a chicken paillard. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so I just wanted you to be. Prepared. That's a lot of trash talk, Tracy. I know. Stacey. You better bring it, not just My bring it. My God! No. If he loses, he's going to be lower than the ground here. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So why don't you tell us about your favorite uh, fall desserts, or your favorite desserts of all time, or whatever you feel like chatting? Well, you know. Uh, it's actually easy for me because my favorite desserts are fall desserts. I mean, summer desserts are beautiful and everyone loves all the berries. But, yeah, to be honest, I, I even though they're not as colorful in the fall, for me, that's like the coziest, most delicious kind of dessert that I like to enjoy. So I actually have listed them in order because I have some favorites. So I want to say starting at the top. And this one is lesser known in Seattle, but my favorite dessert, which is actually good for summer or fall, is chess pie. You guys remember chess pie? Oh, yeah. Chess pie. No, no. please, please do tell. I do not know that. Well, well, there's a little discrepancy. Some people say, like, well, what does it mean? And the theory goes that at some point someone said it's chess pie. And so it somehow translated to chess pie. So we're not really <laughs> sure, but it also goes by the name of buttermilk pie, or in Kentucky, we call it commonwealth pie. It's really just, I like to tell people, think of it as a blonde pecan pie. So without the molasses, it's just got the egg and the sugar and just a little bit of like vinegar or lemon juice to kind of make it tangy. And it's just, it's like the blondie of a, of a brownie of the pecan pie. So oh. that's my top favorite. Wow, that sounds my delicious. Favorite, though. It is delicious. And you know what's nice about chess pie is, and honestly, all of these fall desserts that I like is if it's a little sweet for you, I just like to pair it with like a frozen yogurt or a buttermilk ice cream mm-hmm. or even just a little whipped cream. And then it just really is a nice balance. So, right. Stacy, is chess pie, I always kind of refer to that kind of dessert as being Pennsylvania Dutch of. That uh, you know what pie I'm talking about, where it's more like the filling of a pecan pie without the pecans. I believe that one's more like a shoe fly a pie, shoe fly. right? That's, yeah, that's a shoe fly pie. You're right. <laughs> and you know the common thing is like they all have so much sugar and sweetness in them that mm-hmm. you know you need a cup of coffee or some ice cream to cut the sweetness. Right. Yeah, it's it's pretty. Um, it's pretty funny when the ice cream is the one cutting the sugar, though. <laughs> That's a pastry Isn't chef it? talking for you right there. <laughs> and then next one, you know, which actually reminds me of Ireland because I don't remember going to a single restaurant that it wasn't on the menu there, and that is just fine by me. And that's the stitch toffee pudding. Mm, mm. I love that. Yes, and like for me, that's the first thing I want to make when it starts getting cold outside, and you know, it's always made with like. Uh, dried dates, so it's super sticky and like it's sweet, but it's also kind of healthy because you got dates in there, <laughs> and then you can make this delicious boozy sauce, and then you soak the cakes in it. So it's not just the cake; it's like a booze-soaked pudding cake, mm-hmm. mm. and a nice little creme anglaise with that. Well, oh. you know, I actually have a funny story about that. So I put this, I put this sticky toffee. Uh, putting on the menu at Dahlia once and because it was fall I paired it with a little sweet potato creme brulee uh-huh. and I'll, 
I always laugh to myself when I look back on it. I remember Jackie Tom's wife saying, oh, it's so lovely and, you know, pretty. And Tom said, I don't need this. I just want more cake. (laughs) Well, you know, Stacey, unbeknownst to you or anyone in this room, I'm the only one here that has had sticky toffee pudding in the restaurant in London where it was invented. What? Yeah. Mm. What was that? Do you... Uh, maybe 30 years ago. And is it different uh, there? Uh, no, no, no. It's very. It's become a, a worldwide, like tiramisu, right? It's a worldwide phenomenon mm-hmm. at this point. Uh, you see it in all sorts of places that uh, have nothing to do with the UK. Right. Uh, but, um, no, I, I, I want to call the restaurant The Ring, but I also know there's a ring in Portland, ringside maybe in Portland. Mm-hmm. I think it's called The Ring. It's one of the oldest restaurants in London, so... Uh, yeah, so I've, I, I love sticky toffee pudding, and literally my golf club that I belong to north of Glasgow makes an incredible mm-hmm. version. Yeah, without sweet potato creme I, I brulee. Yeah. <laughs> do you see it as much in Scotland as you do in Ireland? Yes, a classic, classic, UK classic. What's next on your list? This one isn't as fall, but I like to consider it like more of an end of summer dessert, and because. You know, we just we just finished out the blackberry season in Seattle. And if anybody lives here, they know how much an abundance of blackberries we have. So, and it's the perfect thing you can pick and then throw in the freezer and then make yourself a blackberry cobbler. Yeah, yeah, blackberry. And again, you know, it's delicious in the summer, but it's warm and bubbly. When you make a cobbler, what makes your biscuits so or your biscuit topping so light and, and airy? Well, I like to steam it just a little. So when I put my mm. uh, cobblers in the oven, I also put a little, like, a cover on top of the, like, uh, the casserole pan or the sheet tray that you're baking them. I kind of turn another sheet tray up and upside down, put it on top, and then I steam them, almost like a dumpling, mm-hmm. for the first, like, 15 minutes. And then I take the lid off, and then I let it get a little bit crispy and golden brown on top. Because the worst thing is you can do is to have a raw biscuit uh on top of that, uh, yeah, that's beautiful true. blackberries. If you, yeah. lift, if you just lift up like the center of the the biscuit topping, just kind of sneak a little peek underneath of it, right in the center. That's how I always check to see if mine are done. And you can put a piece of parchment paper on top so it doesn't burn and keeps cooking and baking. Chef, do you have a, a favorite fall dessert? I, I'm I'm definitely a big fan of pear and. And unfortunately, not unfortunately, I learned to love quince because I have a quince tree that does not want to die for 20 years. I'm like, that damn thing has only one branch left and there is 50, 50 things hanging on it, like to the ground. Kathy picked a few the other day. She goes, I just felt bad for the branch. And I'm like, this thing needs to die. Anyway. Um, is, it so, the, is it the good quince that has a great aroma, or is it... Oh, absolutely. There's a lot of Northwest quince that really doesn't bring much to the table. No, no, these, these I can tell you, the ones she picked are not even ready yet. Mm-hmm. They're in a bowl mm-hmm. in the dining room table, and the whole house smells like this beautiful yeah. fragrance. I mean, those are different. I don't... I'm just being facetious. I just... I just... That tree just been, like, bugging me a little bit, but to say the least. But anyway, every, <laughs> no, year, quince, every year I take the quince. It's a lot of work. Yeah. It is a lot of work. It's a very thick skin. It's a pain in the neck to just clean. And then you get just little <laughs> so meat. Terrible. You don't get as much meat as you want to. It, really oxi- it oxidizes right away. So it starts to look like an oxidized apple. But, but Jeff, f- once you cook it, the oh, color man. comes right back. Yeah, when you cook it, it's that dash of lemon in there. And I have a lot of fresh herbs like lemon verbena, anise isop, and all that. Put all that stuff in there. And then re- I, put, I put whole branches 
so I can extract the flavor but not put the herbs in there. And then I remove the branch mm-hmm. at the end and I blend the whole thing up into a nice puree and it is so delicious. I mean, it tastes wonderful. Honey is my sweetener and um, it, it works really, really well. Honey and, and uh, quince together makes this wonderful little puree. Great base for... I like, to, I like to cook mine in a Riesling or a Muscat. Yeah. Oh, that's good. yeah. All right, Stacey, you have two minutes. What's your last dessert... Uh, selection for the fall? Well, you know, I'm going to have to go with the classic. Uh, back to my roots with the bourbon pecan pie. You just can't go wrong, right? Mm-hmm. And it does feel like a very I mean, fall dish, this nut, nut, nutty time. With the, the toasted pecans and a nice, you know, nice round, sweet bourbon in there. And it's easy to make. You can pop it in the freezer, enjoy it any time. Mm-hmm. Pecan pie. and then We yeah. will be selling those this year for the holidays. Too. It's funny. It's funny because... As a pastry chef, you're thinking all those nuts, which is true. I mean, the nuts are available now, but for me, I always think of winter for the nuts. I, I, I like, just wait a little bit, because right now, I'm thinking apple, pear, apple, and, apple, apple. apple, pear, and quince. You know, that's what I'm thinking about for fruit. But it's funny how you're thinking about all those, those uh, pecan and walnut, and, and it totally makes sense to me. But Stacey, are you cool. a uh, whipped cream or ice cream girl on your pecan pie? I'm more of an ice cream girl. Ice cream girl. Yeah, I would be ice cream, too. My wife and is. And you know, Terry, I'm surprised you didn't. I'm surprised you didn't mention frangipan with all those. Well, I, I was trying to there. not say it because I say it every show. So, <laughs> thyme and frangipan, yeah. <laughs> and Dijon mustard. <laughs> Don't forget, what a classic combination! Don't forget a little caramelized shallot on there too. Yeah, uh, Stacy's going to uh, join us for uh, f- the Rub with Love Food for Thought Tasty Trivia Challenge, and uh, I'm looking forward to. <laughs> Crushing her like a pecan. Easy now. Easy now. Bring it on, Tom. Bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> She's about nuts scared. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when we come back, that's uh, Cairo Radio 97.3 FM. Oh, it's good to be back in the hot stove kitchen here in downtown Seattle. It's uh, time to play our Rub With Love Tasty Trivia Challenge. Rub With Love is are made in small batches out there in Ballard, at my warehouse in Ballard, they're versatile sauces and mustards, and and uh, bring extra layers of flavor to just about any meal. Use them generously in creative ways uh, beyond just a label description. Uh, we always like every week to give you a few places you can find them, maybe in your neighborhood, uh, besides the regular grocery and online and all that. Uh, check out Ken's Markets, uh, the Tacoma Boys, uh, three locations, and Sunny Farms Country Store in Squim. Uh, of course, online at. Uh, I'm Douglas.com, too. Uh, our prize today, Pamela, is what and who's the winner, and how do you play the game? Our prize today is Veggie Rub, Smoky Barbecue, and the world-famous Salmon Run. <laughs> and it is going to Jerry Quabata, who we met last night at Stacy's class. She's an avid listener <laughs> and can't wait to come back to the show when All it's right. live. She's even going to take a day off from work. Do we know when we're going live on the show again? Well, I had thought the 15th, but you won't. I won't be here. Yeah. Damn. So... To be announced. To be determined. There's the three contestants are going to get five questions. The loser uh, with the least amount right has to pay for the shipping to Jerry. So, but I, <laughs> I'm a softy today. 
You are? Yeah. What's the theme? What's the theme? Baking and green beans. <laughs> <laughs> I hope we don't do both of them at the same time. Stacy, if you need me to loan you the money to pay for shipping uh, later, oh. uh, you let me know. <laughs> Uh, oh, I might need a raise, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Much easier, yeah. Much easier. Just give me a raise, Tom. I lose every week. Terry. Go ahead. What is at the center of a bunt cake? A hole. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what is she asking about? I'm like, bunt cake? <laughs> this is a hole in the middle. Yes. What is the main <laughs> ingredient in angel food cake? Flour. Egg whites. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that was I'm a good surprise. Stacy's listening. Stacy, yeah. Stacy, do you know what yeah. the biggest mistake you can make when you bake an angel food cake? Spray the pan. O- oil the pan. Oh yes, absolutely. That's exactly the biggest mistake you can make. Why? Because if you do, you'll have a crap instead yeah. of a cake. It needs, a, it needs something to rise up. <laughs> rise up. If it, crawl up if the it sides, doesn't so. cr- climb onto the sides, it loses its power. Number three. Sounds like Tom's going to go down on this. Oh! <laughs> Bam, boom. Uh, what is the French word for cake shop? Patisserie. Yes. I'm going to bomb it. She said it was going to be easy. I didn't realize it was that easy. Uh, profiteroles and eclairs are made from what type of Pâte cake? Pâte Yes. Green beans are classified by growth habit. Into two major groups. What are those two growing habits of beans? Well, there is bush beans and there is climbing beans. Correct! Yay! Good score today. Four out of five. That's a. I should have get five out of five. (laughs) Stacy, on to you. But you didn't. I'm ready. You're ready. What is the most important thing you can do when making a souffle? Well, the most important thing... A lot of big talk uh, Whip your egg whites, put it in the oven immediately. (laughs) (laughs) The answer we were looking for would be to cleanly separate the yolk from the whites. Yeah, I mean, Boy, if you, because, because if you have if you have dirty just, whites, yeah, I just you have Stacey, everyone did that. Do you know? Do you know how to spell <laughs> I loser? Just Stacey? Everyone knew that. Yeah. <laughs> That's because you're a pastry chef. Uh, number two, how is a marble cake made? Well, by twirling vanilla and chocolate batter together with a butter knife. Exactly. Yes. What is the name of the French dessert? That literally means crunch in the mouth. I don't know, but I might have to make this one for Tom. Let me give you a hint. Let me give you a hint. It's used a lot in in weddings, and it's a stack of something made with patachou. Croquembouche? Yay! Correct. Yay, is that right? Yes. 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 I speak French. (laughs) You do now. (laughs) What two flavors make up Jean Duya? That would be, Pam, chocolate and hazelnut. Exactly. Yes. Milk chocolate, technically. <laughs> Thank you for the clarification. I've never heard it pronounced that way. <laughs> no, I, I had a hard time with that. <laughs> John Duya. John, thank you. John. Pam speaks French, too. John Duya. <laughs> John Duya. <laughs> when making a mousse, you fold whipped cream into your base at the very end. This cream should be whipped to what state? Soft Peak. Yes. Soft Peak, yes. How'd Ooh. she do, Chef? Four out of five. No, tie. We're oh, a tie. Woo-hoo-hoo. Okay, Tom Douglas, it's your turn. Shine or die. 
Tom. What do nutritionists recommend as the carbohydrate ratio uh, to protein for golfers? I, I would say it's 50 50. Uh, it's the, they recommend sticking to a two to one protein to carbs. For what? For golfers? For golfers. Yeah, they're full of it. <laughs> golfers always eat a lot of french fries. <laughs> that doesn't mean they recommend that. How many? Nobody recommends. No nutritionist <laughs> would recommend two parts protein to one part anything. That is correct. Uh, how many calories in a cup of green beans? <laughs> full number one. Name and full 80, number one. 80 calories. 31. <laughs> That's a hard one. 31 calories and 1.8 grams of protein. Who is the patron saint of pastry chefs? Stacy Fortner. I think she is going to become that, but it's Saint Honoré. The Saint Honoré cake is made by a disc of puff pastry with several profiteroles around the outside, and finally sponge sugar is spread around the dessert. Let's make that. Oh, it's delicious. Very French. My favorite pâte choux cake is uh, Paris Brest. Oh yeah, Paris Brest. Oh. Paris-Brest. Me Sorry. too. That's my favorite one as well. Number four. How do the French prepare haricot vert? Um, well, oddly, they blanch them and then put them in ice water <laughs> and, and then serve them with tuna mayonnaise. <laughs> Not quite on the tuna mayonnaise, but... With avocado and tomatoes. They're marinated for 10 minutes. See, no. I listened. You listened to the show. <laughs> no. Except you put all, all the segments into one. <laughs> What kind of cheese is huh. traditionally used in making tiramisu? Ma 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 mascarpone. Yep. See, he's got one. <laughs> one out of five, Tom. You crushed it. <laughs> I feel very proud of myself. You know, this week we were playing the reverse. The least amount right wins. Ah, okay. Well, I forgot. I didn't. I didn't get that instruction. Did you get that, Stacy? Uh, once again, I've been crushed like a cheap ice cube. <laughs> Hey, I want to give a shout-out to our favorite former pie dough maker, too, Carol Kridner. We miss you, Carol. We love you. Absolutely. And I want to give a shout-out to my bankers, since I once again have to pay for the prize and for its shipping. Uh, if you want to be part of this show, you can join the community on Facebook live at Hot Stove Society Radio Show. You're listening to us on Cairo, of course. The show is produced by Pam Hinckley, who stabbed me in the back today. <laughs> Sean McFadden is our, our technical <laughs> advisor. And Sean Don't Call Me Doctori is our editor. Also, remember, if you miss any episode of the Hot Stove Society show on Cairo, you can listen via podcast. Just subscribe to your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening and have a fabulous weekend. <laughs>